0: all right welcome back to operator syndrome um today we have an, another honored guest uh steve brown uh really really thankful for him taking the time to to come on the show uh steve uh, is a seal brother um he uh his career is, is pretty distinguished he probably doesn't want me to blow a lot of smoke like most people who have distinguished careers but uh uh he uh He was a little bit after my time, um, but uh, saw a lot of action, uh, was stationed at um, SDV, Seal Delivery Vehicle Team 1, for a number of years, and then moved on to Dev Group as an operator for close to 10 years, I believe. And then um, he uh, saw a lot of combat. Um, You know, I'm I'm a dinosaur. The Gulf War wasn't even really that much of a war. It was just kind of a blip, but uh, um, I know he's fought hard uh when the silver star which is a big deal um multiple bronze stars uh you were a sniper too weren't you yes i was yes sniper and then um spent some meaningful time up in uh debt kodiak which is uh it's the west coast okay i'm, I'm speaking from a lot of, a lot a lot of years ago <laughs> it was the west coast winter warfare school up in kodiak alaska the island um kodiak island um and um I thought it would be funny to, to just talk about that place. Uh, I went there twice uh, with SEAL Team 5 on two different platoons. And back then, it was not as developed and refined. I'm, I'm, Steve has taken it. I mean, he knows a whole lot about survival, cold weather, hunting, all that good stuff. Um, but back then, I, I, I just remember, and I'll throw it over to Steve. When we landed the first time. We landed at a Coast Guard base c C-130, you know, we get out, and I'm I'm just I had my first time to Alaska, so I was just overwhelmed by the beauty of the place. I I, I was just striking if you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. I walked out, and I don't know what I was doing. We were on the tarmac there, getting off the plane, and I look over, and there's like a bay area, and a freaking eagle or something, an osprey, or it was a big bird, just comes swooping down and grabs a fish like right out of the. Right out of the bay. And I'm like, wow, welcome to Alaska. It was just a magical experience. Um, but yeah, just uh what what were your uh, some of your memories of, of Kodiak and uh, memorable things that happened there?
1: Yeah, so like you, I was kind of in the older days where you know I went up there twice with uh task units from SDV team one to do winter warfare. And I just the place just... The terrain, the topography, the wild of it, the untouched areas of it. I mean, you you get five minutes out of town and it's like you're 500 miles from anywhere. Yeah. And so I just always had this, like, really drive to go back there in some other capacity. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I did end up going back up there to be the senior enlisted advisor. And so when I went back, it was had completely changed so it wasn't just platoons coming up there anymore now it was part of the pipeline for sqt so every buds class you know once they would start sqt would end up up there at some point in time in that pipeline i changed a couple times while i was up there and uh just kind of kept developing the curriculum that we were able to offer up there and you know getting the instructors to a level where they could really be experts in that environment um and then pass that as much of that knowledge as they can down to the student level which is difficult to do because it's such a non-standard skill set for the yeah in, within the teams and so we would send guys all kinds of climbing schools and avalanche courses and snow machine courses and just try to build that knowledge because when i when we'd get a new instructor i mean he'd show up there basically with what he learned in sqt oh yeah so and that's you can't have an, someone that the level that the student's going to get to really teach them and really, you know, they're only teaching them to the level that they know. Um, so we had a really solid staff. Uh, then we started incorporating doing our own senior mountaineering course and master mountaineering course, which after I left, the senior master or the senior mountaineering course started. Our mountaineering curriculum within the SQT piece, uh, we made it so that every student we qualified as a basic mountaineer under socom standards and so when they would go work with other units within socom mm. you know you can say hey we got 13 basic mountaineers which that means the senior and the master mountaineer know exactly their capabilities so it, it was cool watching that progression and seeing how we could get guys more integrated with other units uh, when they're downrange but it was <laughs> the terrain there man it's it's such a such a mind uh i want to say some words here that i can't but
0: um <laughs> <laughs> feel free we do
1: <laughs> yeah. okay it's a total mind fuck because yeah. you have such you have so much micro terrain
0: yeah yeah and
1: it's hilarious you'll be on a three-day like patrol out in the mountains with the students and you'll you know might be backed by rear security it might be up on point it just depends but i remember this one time i was back with the rear security guys and they're just like yeah it should just be like over that next ridge well there's so many false summits (laughs) so they would get up to that and they'd see their patrol just still going and they're just like they're just back there bitching you know bitching at the point man like what is wrong with this guy why can't he figure out where we're going and (laughs) blah 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 blah. and i mean i was a point man pretty much throughout my entire career so i kind of i feel for the guy that's up there in the front trying to figure out where he's going yeah trying to do it the best way possible knowing that there's dudes behind him that have a lot more weight than what he's carrying and right and they're they're just getting more and more fired up and i was uh-huh. just like so then it's, you just throw the question out like would you guys like to take over point for your point, man, or something <laughs> like that and then they just kind of like shut up because yeah. they don't really know where they're at anyways but yeah that terrain can really make or break you and yeah, like man. really psych because psychologically i mean as far as instructors go we all know the routes and yeah you know we've done them over and over so we know it's like all right two more ridge lines and we're there yeah where these students man they're just like okay because on a on a map or anything you're looking at it's like okay we got two like major ridge lines but they're counting every single little micro ridge line too
0: right oh like, why
1: aren't we there yet so that was usually pretty funny uh just listening to them like bitch about that stuff and you know it it, it was cool i mean you're Taking these some of these kids that have never been in the wilderness like that before, that's you know maybe grew up in a city, and next thing you know you're teaching them how to process out an animal. Yeah. And oh maybe, yeah. You know you'd ask the class as a whole like, how many of you guys have ever like hunted before? And you'd get a few hands. How many of you oh, yeah. ever processed out an animal before? And you'd get fewer hands. And this right. is like, man, these are some basic life skills that we as a society are just losing big time. But you see it like kind of coming back a little bit now because everybody's kind of getting paranoid about I don't know, just the infrastructure collapsing and I need to support myself and have my own farm and have my own, you know. So yeah. Hopefully those guys all took some of those lessons and like we were talking about earlier, where we know guys that have done that. I mean, hell I'm one. I mean that's not I don't have a garden yet, but I mean I got goats to help take care of this place and that kind of thing. So Meat we yeah. became a shortage and i got deer all over the place and turkeys oh, and yeah.
0: stuff so it's yeah yeah for those out there listening we're both well there's three well there's more than that actually but three three former team guys uh in this mm-hmm. relatively same area central kentucky south central i'm in south central uh and uh i mean nobody's gonna go hungry here if the whole <laughs> shit balloon goes up we're no, we're, we're gonna eat, be eating fine but yeah you know, I I was thinking when I was at uh, up in Kodiak at winter warfare, I I remember I was a point man and getting cursed by everybody. <laughs> and that that that's so funny. Yeah, I just want to throw it back to him and go, "All right, you think you can do better?" I mean, it's it's just brutal. I I remember the first uh we were out in a really cold. We were up in the hills, I can't even remember where. But it was it was up there and it was, I mean, freakishly cold. And I just remember thinking of mine, and we were doing the snow caves. Did you guys do those? Yep. Yeah.
1: When when the weather permitted, like it was a summer class and probably not. But yeah, we would. And I got something to say about snow caves when you get uh, that just brought back a thought. But when you
0: finish. Yeah, no. uh, Well, we had a guy almost. Well, I think there were three or four guys in each snow cave. I think that's how we did it. I, I remember at least three of us in there. You know, we broke up the the patrol into like threes or fours and um one group almost died like the dude you know how you got to keep that that the ventil. the hole yeah the vent hole yeah. and uh he it he, he went to sleep and iced over oh, and geez. by god's grace man they woke up and like one of them woke up and was like out of his mind like lethargic and pushed the packs out of the way and all this air rushed in and he just started puking i was like God, you guys were like not that far from all being dead. But uh yeah, but I guess my bigger point was like my my thought was up there in, in that kind of cold is like, man, fuck me. If we have to fight in this weather, <laughs> I don't know how that's gonna go, but uh yeah.
1: Did
0: did you, well, I, you did, Yeah, go ahead. I
1: was gonna say, well, I can say our, our equipment and clothing systems have come a long, long, long way. Yeah. Or now you can I mean it's not difficult to thrive in that environment. So I mean, it's, we've taken everything from like our base layer to our sleeping bag and we turn that into one system. So oh yeah, you're utilizing that whole system to help you dry out while you sleep. Yeah. I mean, and yeah. people are like, dude, what? And it's like, oh, so yeah. to test this theory, we have the students go and immerse themselves in a lake mm-hmm. usually or the ocean just depends on what the sea state's like. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, we're breaking ice to get them in the lake and they get out. They got they go in the water for a certain period of time we got some hypothermia tables so we can get them pretty close to where they're like they're cold and mm-hmm. we know that they're cold and then they get out and as pairs they set up a tent they get their sleeping bags in there they boil some water they reconstitute like a a, a mountain house meal yeah and while they're in their sleeping bags inside this tent and they're eating you all of a sudden you they will have their tent door vented. And all of a sudden you just see all this water vapor just pouring out of that thing. Wow. It's amazing how it's just flowing out of that. Yeah. And so, yeah, our, our clothing systems are so much better than they were oh. back in the day when we first went up there uh, yeah. back in the nineties, man, it was, oh. it was terrible back. You're totally muscling through it back then. Yeah. But one of the things I was going to mention about snow cave. Mm-hmm. So there's this one class we did and uh, we had this really nice, gully there's a huge drift in it so we broke them up and these sqt classes are pretty big i mean i think like 70 was like one of the larger numbers we had uh, i think this was one around 40 or 50 mm-hmm. so we broke them up into teams and had them all do snow caves into this into this massive drift and the rest of the instructors were all out getting kind of our tents and stuff set up and everything for the evening and we went back and checked them all out and there's still you know a few hours of light left and so we kind of let the students kind of just go and just live in the environment. Just we weren't like sitting there micromanaging them. We were just letting them do their thing. Yeah. Well, they ended up connecting every snow cave. So, mm-hmm. it, so you'd go in through any entrance of the snow cave, and it was one gigantic, freaking cavern of like mm-hmm. it was badass. Yeah, that was pretty cool. cool.
0: Yeah, and uh,
1: <laughs> but I was just like, oh, that's that's pretty interesting. But you could have put that whole class inside that thing. Wow, crazy. That is amazing. I never
0: thought of anything like that in my life. Yeah. Yeah. Big, uh, yeah. uh, Complex of inner, inner, it was crazy. Well, uh, yeah, I, uh, by the way, for our listeners out there, uh, Steve, they had a feature article in a a magazine called, uh, Frank the Magazine. I guess that's a Frankfurt, Frank, yeah, from Frankfurt. It's It's
1: a county magazine. They kind Could of I, highlight things around the county.
0: Yeah. And for our listeners, if you want a copy of this, I've got a PDF. Just uh email email us, Patrick and myself at um operators syndrome podcast at gmail.com and I'll just fire you on. I mean, no cost or nothing like that. But it, it gives a good uh sketch of of Steve's background and uh, just what he's doing now, which we're we're kind of gonna get into. Uh but I was gonna ask you one other thing. Um in 2010, um, you kind of we're at a low point and um yeah. th- this is what the article says so i'm not I, I don't think i'm divulging anything too personal but uh right there was an event that happened a hunting event that kind of transformed you in a way it sounded like it didn't go into it lot. Did. yeah you want to tell us about that a little bit just briefly
1: yeah sure so i mean <laughs> while my time at at Damick, i just you know like you said did a lot i'd lost a lot of close teammates um and I was kind of getting, I didn't realize where I was in my headspace until I got up to Alaska. And I actually had time to kind of reflect and think. And I just went downhill really fast Yeah. and, you know, I had suicidal ideation, kind of figured out what I was going to do, how I was going to do it, where I was going to go do it. I just didn't know when. Uh, there's a lot of things preventing me from, there's a few things preventing me from doing it. Like who would find me? That was probably the biggest one. Yeah. And that, so that kind of kept my head above water. And then. I put in for a brown bear hunt on the island in an area where a couple guys recommended that I put in for that certain game managed area. And fortunately was drawn like the first time I ever put in for one and just, uh, everything just kind of fell in the place. Like a buddy of mine that was going to go on the hunt with me from the debt. He knew a guy that had a cabin out in that area. The guy with the cabin was like, Hey, if I can go on the hunt, you guys can just stay at my cabin. So we went out there a couple of days early. You got to get there by boat or by plane. And uh so we went by boat, got out there, um kind of just walked a little bit around. We didn't go too far. Just kind of went up on our ridgeline one day and did some classing and some areas and didn't see anything. And then it was opening day and uh the three of us we hike up. Uh there's myself and the other t- and the other two and so one of them was going to video while the other one was going to be the backup shooter. And then, uh, because up there, the bears are big and you want to drop them fast and you don't want a wounded animal, like taking off in the alder. Like, yeah, then you got to go after them, you know, and that's never, they're, they're big. So, uh, so we went up on this ridgeline and we glass down there's two bears down in the river they're fishing. And, and, uh, I'm like, Hey, do they look like they're average sized bears? And the guy's like, yeah, they're average. And I'm like, all right, well, let's go get one. So we uh, proceed to go down. Well, we went and got some chest waders and because we had to cross a bunch of rivers. And so we went and did that. And then basically this turned into about a six hour stalk or a six and a half hour stalk. And in the meantime, those bears are fishing, going up in the alder, taking a nap. One The other bear went up there and like fought the other bear for a little bit. And the first one that took a nap took off and second one crashed out and then I came back out, but it was like 700 yards away at this point. And I was like, I was good at taking a shot at that far, six, 700, you know? And, but the, the other guy with me was just like, nah, I'd be better off like two to 300. And I'm like, all right, well, we got time. This is the opening day. We got two weeks. So we're kind of, the sun's getting ready to go down and we're like, all right, well, let's pack up, let's head back up to the cabin you know, get to bed early, get up early, be back down in a spot before the sun even starts to come up. And just, you know, hopefully they're right back in the same spot fishing because it's only like a 25 yard shot, which I would hope they would be a little bit further than that. But yeah, right. You know, if that is what it is, but, uh, <laughs> where, so we start walking out and I look back and this, this bear is now coming down the river towards the direction that we were at. And so I was like, Hey fellas, I think he might make it down here before it gets you know, too, too dark to shoot. So I go back to where I was at. Those two guys get back up to me a few minutes later. It's now within about 300 yards, but there's no good. There's no good shot because there's too much alder between the bear and ourselves. It jumps in on their salmon. It goes into an alder bush and eats it and then starts coming down the river again. And I'm so I range this corner that he's coming to and it's 200 yards. And I'm like, well, I'm going to drill him right in the shoulder. As soon as he, comes to that point and so as soon as he gets there he turns and comes straight on me and i'm like the only shot i have is like a headshot. and i'm like i'm not taking that because that's what you're after is that skull
0: you know yeah, the hide yeah. and everything and right
1: and so i'm just sitting there watching him through my scope and finally i see that front left front right paw go way out to the right and then i'm like okay that left one's gonna come over and give me that shot i want and so it did as soon as this paw hit the bottom of the river i cracked him uh spun him around and he fell like he couldn't have fallen any better. He fell basically chest just right towards us, saying, wow. screaming to us, like, put as many rounds into me as you can right now. And so we did. So we put in uh seven more rounds into yeah. Him. And it was we caught it all on video and it was just like, wow, that was that was awesome. But like with any hunt, it's like wow, now the real work begins because
0: yeah, oh yeah. We're
1: like, that's a good sized bear. It's starting to get dark, and bears in Alaska are attracted to gunfire. So, because they under, I somehow they learned that you're not allowed to defend anything that you kill up there if a bear decides to get on of it.
0: Oh, wow.
1: So now it's, now it's like, okay, we got like one dude on watch while, the, well, first we walk up to this thing and we're like, holy shit, this thing's like the size of a Volkswagen bug. It was it, huge.
0: It was a record, wasn't uh, it, it,
1: it? It was the largest bear taken huge. in the state in 2010. And I'm not sure exactly where it falls out on Boone and Crockett anymore because yeah. it's been quite a few years since then. But, uh, but yeah, so we get this thing all fleshed out and everything, and and uh, well skinned out, not fleshed out yet. And mm-hmm. then we, and now, yeah. but now we're like, because we're guessing this thing at the time is probably about fourteen hundred pounds, <laughs> and like it took three of us to drag the hide up onto the shore, uh, like we. So we're like, and all I brought was a backpack frame and some five fifty cord to like roll <laughs> up a, you know, a hide and strap yeah. it to that and like hike out. And I'm, we're like, there's no way that's happening, and, and we're yeah. like looking at trees. We're like, can we build a litter? You know, you know, how can we do this? And then yeah. uh, one of the guys is like, well, why don't we float it down the river? And I'm like, all right, that's a good idea. And so yeah. I took the 550 from the backpack frame and wrapped it around. The skull is still inside the hide. So I wrapped it around that a bunch of times and tied it off really good. And then I, and now by now it's dark, you know, so we're on headlamps and doing all this and still watching for other bears to come in on us, still have someone always like on watch. Uh, yeah. And so I just tie this thing to me, like because I'm still at that point in my life. I'm like, I don't care. I really didn't care. Yeah, like, So yeah. I just tied this thing to my wrist where it could not come off of me. Yeah. Because if I if I let go of this thing, it's yeah. gone, and that river goes right out into a bay that goes out into the Gulf of Alaska, which goes into the Pacific Ocean. Not, I'm saying it'd go that far, but it'd probably get at least out into that bay and and just be gone. Yeah. And so I'm just like, we're after we got back it was straight line distance a mile uh that we had to cover in this zigzagging river which took an hour to do and i just asked one of them to be on either side of the river like just keep your head if i go underwater just keep your headlamps on the top of the water so i can at least see where the surface is as i'm running along the bottom because i'm not going to be able to come back up because until this bear gets me to where i can come back up and so i went under twice uh and you know obviously came back up twice and and then finally got and then there'd be shallows. So my I'd get my chest waders emptied back out again and and yeah. then uh just start dragging this thing over rocks and that would kind of warm me back up by the time we got to where we could get an ATV to it. I was pretty damn near hypothermic because I mean it's October in Alaska and that water's not warm. Oh. <laughs> and uh so finally got him out and then you know that hunt kind of I look back at it you know, years later, uh, just kind of reflecting on it. And I was just like, man, that was really the, the hand that started to pull me out of my hole that I was in. And yeah. which is why I ended up naming this camp camp Brown bear. Yeah. Cause I get that question all the time too, cause it's kind of an odd yeah. name for a camp to bring a bunch of veterans out to Yeah, But, uh, but yeah, so that was kind of what started it out for me getting better. And then of course extortion 17 happened about, six months later and then that was another nosedive again i had quite a few friends on that bird oh, and then you know again i just started thinking and processing and i was just like i can i can beat this you know like i just gotta keep myself busy i gotta find a mm. purpose i need to and that's why i was still in this is like trying to find purpose while you're still in you got plenty of purpose yeah so i understand why when guys get out when they oh, yeah. don't have that purpose it's like really easy for them to really stumble and fall into a hole. Um, Which is, you know, why one of the main reasons I started doing what I'm doing is just when I first started this camp, it was uh, bringing vets out to help me renovate it because we're going to start a fatherless boys, middle school age, like primitive living land navigation school. Yeah. And so they're like, okay, we're helping kids. That gave them sense of purpose. And like we saw a lot of guys that came out here that were, completely suicidal so i've had multiple suicide attempts and after coming out here a few times you know next thing you hear is like yeah i'm back at school i'm getting my master's degree in art i'm going to be an art teacher i'm going to teach in high school and you know yeah. like stories like that and it's like yeah. another buddy of mine he <laughs> has been to pretty much every retreat we've done because about three years into doing them he started his own nonprofit to because he figured out his sense of purpose was to help veterans and awesome. he takes them canoeing and kayaking with camping involved. And then that evolved into doing uh multi day offshore sailing trips out of Key West on two 56 foot sailboats. Oh. So it's helped. I mean, that's just two of the people. So there's been oh, yeah. a lot and it's uh, so working out here every day. It's like one, it's super peaceful and quiet. So I've got that. I'm not working for somebody. <laughs> um, I'm doing it the way that I want to do it. And uh I, And I, obviously I change things. If I see something that doesn't work, especially if it's within the retreat, you know, we, we change it and we do micro corrections. We don't do anything like drastic. So we want to make sure when we do a change, it's one thing that we're changing. If that didn't work, okay, let's try something else the next time. But we've got a good formula now. And really I've been trying to share it with other organizations because like we will announce that we have a retreat and we will fill it up within 24 hours and if I don't take down the application for it, I'll have enough people signed up for two to three retreats. Yeah. And then even when I do take it down, people keep signing up, even though there's no okay. retreat, they just yeah. keep signing up. I mean, we got a one-year waiting list now for our female retreats. We got a nine-month waiting list for our couples retreats. Uh, the guys are a little easier to do because there's so many other opportunities out there for male veterans. Right. But yeah, it's... I don't know. It's been, uh, so as far as sense of purpose, this place keeps me so busy. I mean, I'm definitely a 60 hour weeks, probably average when we have retreats. I mean, that's, you know, that's add, add another probably 40 hours to that 60 that week. So, so.
0: man, it's, uh, it's, it's inspiring to see brothers just doing stuff like this. Um, the reason we, um, call our, our podcast operator syndrome it's because it, it's a real thing. I mean, it, the medical right. community has d- identified a a network of um symptoms and problems that all these operators have. Uh and We're, we just uh it, it, in any way, like what I've seen, okay, I'll back up a little bit. Was I got out in ninety-three to show you how old I was I am. <laughs> and then uh I went to college. I'll tell you when I
1: came in then. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, and I, I went to I went to grad school. Um, I I was, I became a minister Um, that gave me some purpose. Uh, I got kind of got burned out on that. And then I I came back in the Navy. I got commissioned as a chaplain and uh, weird, weird. That's weird because, you know, I was the only former team guy chaplain walking around and uh, ended up at dev group as a supporting the command chaplain there reported on board on August one of 2011 and the bird went down on August 6th, uh, extortion 17. Yeah. And I, I couldn't believe, because I had been out for so long, I could not believe the brokenness of, of our veterans. And, I mean, we're talking the toughest dudes on the planet, and, and they're falling apart one after another. And, of course, that didn't help. That that event was just like, uh, I don't even want to think about it, really. But uh right. Um, But what I've, what I've noticed is that, and you know, Patrick and I've been digging, he, Patrick's a a former ranger. He saw a lot more action than I ever did in in my time. Uh, But that things that give us purpose, um, helping other vets, even help like teaching, uh, being a, being a role model for, for kids is, is, is great. And uh, so I want to just say, I mean, transitioning into what, what Steve's doing at Camp Brown Bear right here in Kentucky, I've been up to see the place it's beautiful. It, it's secluded, it, it, but it's close enough to th- stuff. That's kind of cool to do like the bourbon trail. There's, there's, it, it's like the best of both worlds. Cause you, you, you feel like you're out in God's country, which you are. And it's a beautiful part of the state. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of in that same area. I'm, I'm a little South of where he is, but, uh, um, what he's doing is, is these retreats and, um, just bring in veterans. It's, it's, it's all paid for. So veterans are not out any money. They just show up. Um, and uh, I I would like to th- this is something we could probably talk about offline. But uh, I worked for about six years doing a jog jogging for Frogmen in Louisville. We raised about one hundred and fifty thousand for the Seal found Navy Seal Foundation. And uh, I was like that kind of was the thing that had me coming back every year. Um, with COVID, it kind of went away. It, we, it's a long story, but uh, but I, I I'm thinking about have you heard of the Bone Frog Open Golf Tournament? I have. Yes. <clears throat> well, I was thinking about something we can talk about not getting in too far into that. It was like, I was wondering, I have a friend who's good at organizing golf events to raise money for Camp Brown Bear and maybe here in Kentucky have a call it the bone frog masters or something. I don't know. Yeah, but uh, right. You know, I, I would also like to, um, uh, to put a plug out. Okay. So how do people, <clears throat> how can, how can they give to your organization? It's a 501 C three Nonprofit. It
1: is. Yes. <clears throat> and it's, um and not only that, all of us are volunteers. So nobody gets paid here. So right. every cent that goes to this organization goes to its programming. Um, so which makes a big difference because our annual budget is less than typically a director at another nonprofit. So yeah. We we are probably I would be willing to bet that we we're probably one of the lowest cause, lowest cost, mm-hmm. uh, causes out there that are really helping veterans and doing things for veterans. Cause you hear a lot of organizations say, we're raising money for veterans. Okay. Well, what are you doing? Yeah. So, I mean, are you just raising money and then you're giving it to somebody else to try to do something? or Are you actually doing it? Yeah. But so, yeah, to help us on our website, that's probably the easiest place to go, which is www.campbrownbearusa.org. And there's a donate button uh, that then takes you to a page where you have three options of a one-time donation, a recurring donation, or you can just give us your spare change every month and do the roundup donation, which you enter a debit or credit card and you can set a limit from $10 up to $100. And so anytime you use that card, it rounds up to the next dollar, that money, that change goes to that amount that you set. Once you reach that set amount, it stops for the month, and then it recontinues in the uh, yeah. following month. But that's yeah, that's really the ways to do it. Or I mean, obviously we are, we've got our mailing address on our website as well. And if you're more comfortable sending a check, yeah, uh, you know the address is right there. But yeah,
0: and I'm assuming too, if people want to come and work, uh, you know, labor wise, as a
1: volunteer, yeah, 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 we have a lot of volunteers that come out. Obviously, our entire staff our volunteers yeah. our board people are volunteers like uh so we usually get a lot of work out of them we've got groups from clark equipment they're a forklift company out of lexington they're out this year jim beam comes out here quite a bit yeah uh, we get units from the uh, national guard base that's right down the road from us that come out here to help us out we just had a group from americorps yeah. which is a federally funded program uh they had eight yeah it was eight Uh, young adults you know 19 to 25 I believe was their range they were out here helping us out with the project and for about three and a half weeks last year we had another group from them they're out here for about two months so yeah we get uh, we're always looking for volunteers to come out and help with projects and things like that I mean, even if it's just coming out the week before the retreat on like a Tuesday or Wednesday and just walking through the cabins and making sure that they're clean and everything's ready to go. And, you know, if it's a couple's retreat, like the, the a couple beds are like strapped together. So they make one like king size bed as opposed to all twin beds in the cabins. And then same thing, if it's a male or female retreat, just making sure everything's all single twins at that point in time. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, just making sure they're clean. And, you know, we uh, do have, like everything's typically cooked on site here. Our auxiliary at our VFW post here in town, forty seventy five, they make a lot of food for us and bring it up here during the retreats. And we've had other American Legion folks out here cooking, and I mean, it's it's kind of a. And we've had team guys out here cooking. I mean, it's just yeah, we get a lot of people when they have the time to do it, and you know, then life gets in the way, or just their life evolves. I shouldn't say get in the way and they just don't have that time anymore. But uh, yeah, we're always looking for more people to come out to help out with what we're doing.
0: I, well, I can attest to it, it is a lean, mean machine that he, Steve's running. Uh, I've been out there. I've seen him. He's dragging wood around. He, he works as hard or harder than anybody else. So it's not, there's not a lot of fat on this, this program. And it's uh if you're out there and you're thinking, well, I, I, I can't only give 10 bucks. That, that go. Man, if, if a thousand of our listeners gave 10 bucks, uh, don't yeah. think that, you know, it's an insult to give a little bit if you have it, because uh, this is a really good cause. And I mean, uh, helping veterans is just something that, that that really keeps me coming back, honestly, uh, at the end of the day. And I know yeah, it's such a beautiful place. And there's also there's a lodge house kind of thing. I don't know what to call it, but it's a really cool room with a bar and, uh, and the Jim Beam did a lot of the woodwork. Uh, it's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. Place to hang out, have a fire, just eat, fellowship, all that. You yep. know. So, um, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Jim Beam. So, they're Jim Beam. I don't know how many people know this, but they employ almost a quarter of their employees are veterans. Yeah. Which is a huge number if you consider the yeah. actual population of the United States and the percentage that are veterans. Sure. And so they have their own organization called Beam Vets, and they came out a few years ago, <clears throat> and in 2021 helped us renovate our bathhouse and shower facility because at the time we were considering doing couples retreats, but it was like, well, we only got two bathrooms and one shower. Yeah. You know, we're talking 10 people, you know, five males, five females, yeah. or it could our when I say couples, I don't mean they gotta be husband and wife. It can be, it can be a, an adult like Vietnam era or Korean era veteran with a adult child that is their care person or vice right. versa. But, uh, OEF, OIF vet who's being taken care of by his, you know, elder parents. So there's a whole, we see a whole lot of different like combinations come through. And, and then there's also the vets that are married, you know, yeah. so you got the male and female veteran that are coming together and, yeah. and our, and our program's slightly different for that for that weekend, uh, for the support person than the veteran, the veteran does the exact same thing that we do during a male or female retreat. And then the support person, the difference for them as they go through SAVE training, which is the VA's new veteran-focused suicide awareness training. And yeah. and I haven't sat through it yet because I'm always out with the veterans doing a work project, but I've had my staff sit through it, and they're like, dude, this is awesome. I'm like, "I really so I really need to sit through it one of these yeah. days just to see what it is because I um, I don't ever incorporate anything into what we do unless I've tried it once myself. Yeah, And I don't want to all of a sudden – even though I've had such a lot of positive feedback from it. Yeah. I don't know. It's like just I just want to make sure it doesn't like taint something that we're already doing.
0: Yeah, for, for sure.
1: You know, it could be enough to just to trigger someone just a little bit where the rest of their stay here is just like, you know, not as good as it could have been. Yeah. So. well
0: it's the that's the challenge uh the number one thing that veterans have faced the, the the big elephant in the room for those out there if you don't know this is suicide rates for veterans we've lost more veterans to suicide than we did in combat which is it's unacceptable but it's you know, it's anyway anything we can do to go in a direction to just give people purpose and i think that's a big one i think a lot of mm-hmm. people i have talked about in operator syndrome with Patrick is that sometimes guys get and gals get so their their identity becomes just being a soldier and and they think that's that's all I'm good at that's all I'm ever going to be good at and that's that's where I get my value and um and and that's all great I mean who you ought to people who serve in any capacity is a veteran but there's so much more to life than just being a warrior or a fighter um and uh and this this highlights all of that Yeah. Well, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, We're coming up on time. Um, Excuse me. I'm sorry. I am having allergy. (laughs) But I I want to
1: hit real quick on the suicide issue. So the population is pretty misinformed on that. And I say that because the 22 a day or 16 a day that's based off of VA numbers, the VA gets their numbers from within the VA system. There's a lot of veterans that don't utilize the VA. And so I I had the, opportunity to be introduced to this veteran female that runs not only a bunch of hospitals in Arizona, but she also, I don't know if she's doing it now based on what's going on in the Middle East, but she ran the entire medical care system for the country of Jordan. Well, she's well connected with, you know, hot civilian hospitals all around the country. And we were having a conversation and she asked me, what do you think the actual suicide rate is based, not based off of the VA's numbers, but based off of everybody's numbers. And I was like, I don't know, maybe 22. I was like, it can't be more than like 32. I'm like 32 a day. She says more like 44 a day. And I was just like, God, man, are you kidding me? She's like, well, in Arizona alone, only 18% of veterans utilize the VA. And I was just like, that's absolutely insane. Yeah. So which is probably on the lower end because Arizona did have that bad, bad stigma with you know veterans dying yeah. in hospital beds and hallways and stuff like that not too long ago. Right. And uh, so, so I don't know what the average it would be per state that veterans are actually utilizing the VA when you're right. talking the number that low. I mean, I'm I would assume that that's towards the lowest end. But so there's just yeah. a lot more out there that is not being reported because the VA only reports on themselves.
0: Right. Yeah. And not, I don't understand
1: why they don't tap into the civilian sector side and get the actual rule. But
0: yeah, really good point. Yeah. It's yeah. just, it's out of control. And, um, well, I, uh, so if uh, one, one more time, it's camp brown, bear, Uh, for those who, who want to check it out, volunteer, give, um, I, I, I'd like to be more involved, uh, talk is cheap but I want to get up there and, and hang out and do, do my give my two cents and help out but uh Steve thanks so much for coming on and um just talking about your your new life there. Yeah
1: I appreciate you having me Steve and yeah you know if uh you ever want to do a follow up or something let me know. For uh, sure. There's still plenty to talk about at this place and you know I'm sure yeah. I got another story or two that'll pop in my head.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, a couple probably.
1: <laughs> yeah. All
0: right. Well thanks, brother. And uh appreciate uh all of the input.
1: All right, brother. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs>